Hi, this is James Mercer from The Shins. This is Shirley Manson. This is Low Tallest, co-founder of The Cure. This is Huey Lewis giving you the story behind the song. The story behind the song is back with an exciting second season. We peel back the layers on music's most iconic hits with legendary artists like The Killers, Heart, The B-52s, Violent Femmes, Jewel, Huey Lewis, Modern English, and more. To keep the music flowing, we'll be sprinkling in classic episodes from our archives between each new one. So check out the story behind the song wherever you get your podcast. So you want to be a rock and roll star? No? Well, how about a podcast star? Well, as it turns out, there's a new all-in-one platform just for you. It's called Anchor, and it's the easiest way to make a podcast. And check this out. It's free. There's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. And then Anchor will distribute the podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify and Apple Podcast and, you know, everywhere else in, uh, in podcast land. And what's even better, you can actually make money from your podcast. Go figure. Uh, no minimum listenership on that. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So go ahead. Download the free Anchor app right now or go to anchor.fm to get started. So what are you waiting for? Podcast stardom is within your reach. Do you read Stephen King? Good news. There's a club for you. The Losers Club. Every Friday, us losers journey through the never-ending wastelands of King's Dominion. We sink our teeth into each of King's novels, dive deep into the lore, and review every adaptation. Even better, we're always having guests over. Thomas Jane, Will Wheaton, Mary Lambert, Mick Garris, the list goes on. So what are you waiting for? Join us as we read on through long days and pleasant nights. Consequence Podcast Network. Hey, welcome to another edition of Kyle Meredith with... The interview series presented by WFPK at WFPK.org, Consequence of Sound, and the Consequence Podcast Network. Thank you so much for making your way here and checking out this uh, episode in the series. Uh, please hit the subscribe button if you're not already. I put out three new interviews every single week, new ones every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, so it's a great way to keep up with all of your favorite bands. Discover some new ones, know what's happening in the music world. You can find us at iTunes and Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, Podchaser, YouTube for the video versions, or anywhere you get your podcasts from. I'm Kyle Meredith. Today, I'm talking with Hoobastank, Doug Robb, and Dan Estrin uh, on the line to revisit the early 2000s for their 20th anniversary of their debut album. Uh, we're going to get into the original intention. Did you actually change their name before they got signed? Obviously, it didn't work out in their favor on that one. Uh, we'll hear about their early funk sound before they would eventually arrive at the heavy guitars and those soaring vocals that would land them on the, uh, the top of the rock charts, thanks to songs like Crawling in the Dark and Running Away. We're also going to go further down the road to that uh, sophomore record when The Reason became a big crossover smash. I want to hear what it was like to suddenly be playing to a big pop audience. Uh, and the early leak culture that they were a part of in that time, too. Some of their early demos that they would have rather had not seen the light of day to the fan base around that time. Uh, they, were, they were part of those early leak uh, leak moments that happened uh, with the uh, the internet, so we'll hear about that as well. And more recently, they've landed in uh, viral fame thanks to TikTok and the song "The Reason." You'll get the full story there. Let's do this. It's Kyle Meredith with Hoobastank. Hello. Hey, how are you? I'm doing great. It's it's good to see you both. We got uh, a few things to talk about. Uh, a bit of that has to do with some time traveling. I know. Um, 
some stuff also some uh, some current uh, uh, back in the public spotlight through the uh, internet culture. I know we'll get to here in just a few moments, but but it's the 20th anniversary of the debut album from Hoobastank, um, which it's fun because it also ties back in like I started in radio in 2000 and, and your all's record was one of like the first big things I think that ever came along with with me really getting into here. So it's a special record for me. And to, to celebrate 20 years, I should just first say congratulations to you, because I know that's a pretty great landmark. Yeah, what, that, we've, that we're still alive after 20 years. It's a, it's a, little, it's a little weird, though. I, like, congratulations. I feel like you get congratulations when you accomplish something. I'm like, well, we've just stayed alive 20 years. <laughs> yeah, alive yeah. Together. yeah. So, Is that what you tell people that have been married for 20 years? Congratulations. Yeah. Staying together. You guys it. Congratulations. It is. You did stay alive. So there is that. I mean, it's, that's not wrong. So no, you're no, absolutely no. right. Because if you if you rewind 20 years ago, it, it's you know we could have easily only lasted three years and then just told each other to fuck off and walked away and never seen each other again. But we did that actually. But we <laughs> <did that. laughs> it was that it was that fuck off. Oh, we're out of here. And then yeah. I'll see you tomorrow. Same so time. Yeah. Same time. Yeah. Tomorrow. Yeah. I love you. <laughs> I, the interesting thing that I, you know, have read about with this record is it was almost a completely different record. I mean, going back, I mean, it's right. You guys were at first had recorded what would have been called forward, and then that was scrapped. Is that the way the story goes? Yeah. Yes and no. I guess um, we got signed in August of 2000. In 1999, we got turned down by basically every label that we were shopping around. And we, uh, basically in 2000, we kind of pushed like a hard reset for us. We, we parted ways with our, we had a sax player at the time who we were trying to like transition to maybe keyboards or something, you know, we parted ways with him and we had four, like, I don't know, three or four or five song ideas that we then demoed. And we were, I think at the time we were considering changing the name. Like it was going to be a, like a, a hard reset. And, um, I know before we had a chance to change the name, we ended up getting a record deal, you know? And so this, this five song demo, I think it was floating around call. It was just called forward at the time, you know? And then when we signed our deal, uh, we didn't even sign as who was thank. We signed as the individual members because it was our intention at that point to, um, to probably change the name. And, and, and since we were going to go from a band that was pretty much based in LA and, and Southern California, to, you know, potentially national and a global stage. Uh, we thought if there was ever a time to, to change this terrible name, it, that, that was it. This is it. Like we, we've been given a chance, you know, and um, the, our A&R guy showed up at a show. Was it our first show after we signed? Something like that. Yeah. Whatever. We were like, it was at the whiskey or the rocks or something, somewhere in Hollywood. And the audience was chanting the name before and after basically throughout, throughout the set. And I remember he comes up after it. And one of the first things I remember him saying is like, dude, you guys cannot change your name. Like it has to be this. And, and so. So Paul Pontius is to blame. Paul. <laughs> yeah, Paul Pontius. <laughs> <laughs> so for better or for worse, it is what it is. And uh, that's, it. that's, you know, we, we stuck it out. But, but there is that five song demo or whatever you want to call it with all like four songs out on them. They're all ended up on, on the self-titled debut album. We did re-record them, but they were on there. Yeah. It, it, and, you know, I'll go into that name just for a second too, because I do remember when I first heard it, 
it was more, I think, what people concentrate on. It was the second half of the name was Stink. And I thought that was a funk term. There was always a funk term. And I sort of heard that in your guys' music a little bit, too. And I think that makes sense coming. And I mean, sax maybe isn't really where the funk part comes. But I, I sort of made that connotation, you know, and it wasn't so much heard in the singles, I guess, with Crawling in the Dark. But but I think what I started learning a little bit later, like, I guess that made a little bit more sense to me. Uh, it's interesting though that you couldn't get out, could get, couldn't get out the door with uh, with changing that up at that point. Like, yeah, start. you know what? For it was a perfectly appropriate name for how funky we were at times from 1995 to 2000. You know, um, with the horns and and um, yeah, the, a lot of slap bass and whatever. We we had definitely a funky side to it. So it was completely, and we were a bunch of teenagers. So that also is appropriate. I feel like the, you know, we evolved with the name didn't really, but that's fine. It's what it is. How did you, so what did you attribute to finding your style at that time? Like what eventually drove you guys into the sounds that we heard on that, uh, on that debut? I just think that that's natural growth of childhood, what we were listening to growing up. I mean, you got to think that's the first album that we made as we think it's the first music we created really well, we created music together before that, but that was our first piece of music that was really presented to the world. It was a, I just think it was a combination of all the crap we listened to growing up, whether it was the Seattle stuff. I mean, Doug and I, we were both really, really into that stuff. And I feel like at that time, we were such sponges just soaking up that, you know, Pearl Jam, Nirvana, Soundgarden, Alice in Chains. Um, but we also dug Metallica and all those bands, by the way, had their heavy aggro punk or metal songs or heavy rock songs, but they also had the softer side of them. You know, Nirvana had uh, something in the way Metallica had on every record, their version of a, of a slower song, you know? And so I just think growing up listening to all that stuff, even Tool, you know, you were way into Tool, who I, I love as well. They, they, they were all over the place. So I, I don't know. I feel like it kind of makes sense how we ended up sounding that way. What about um, Dan? I, I point it real quick. Uh, uh, your guitar, I mean, the guitar sound ended up being a defining sound for Hoobastank in those early days. Where did that sound come from? It's funny. I was just listening to maybe two of the songs off that album the other day. I was trying to play them. Like, with it, I was in front of my studio computer and, and listened to Crawling in the Dark and Pieces. Um, and I realized, God damn, the guitars are mixed so loud. They're huge. Like, at times, I feel like they're louder than the drums and the vocals. That wasn't an intentional. It, it was your and justice for all moment, right? But you know what I do? Re there, there's a, a video clip. We have a lot of the recording of that particular record uh, on video because we had cameras in the studio. And the producer at one point says, this is, it looks at me while I'm playing something. He goes, is, is it too heavy now? And sarcastically, Doug goes, what does that mean? What what are those words like? Because that was we just wanted to be heavy. We wanted the heavy songs to be heavy. So I, I feel like it was just a combination of trying different guitars, trying different amps. We used a we used a blend of like uh, some Marshall amps with some Mesa Boogie amps for the heavy tones. Les Pauls, some cool Paul Reed Smiths. I don't know, man. Uh, Anything we can find. Yeah, dude. I just remember, you know, for as funky and groovy as we may have started off as a band before we had a record deal, we were now at this point where we had evolved into, I mean, it had been happening for a while, but we had evolved into, you know, somewhat heavier, I guess, still melodic, 
And and Doug, I, I just remember you being, you know, pretty vocal about wanting the guitars to be the heavy guitars to be a heavy tone, you know, heavy. So it was your fault. Yeah, I guess that was my fault. I I didn't want to half-ass it, right? If you're gonna, I don't know. I mean, I of the two of us, you know, if we're talking about ingredients and influences, he definitely brought funk, and I was definitely into the heavier shit. So that's kind of where it came. And maybe at that point in our growth, it was time to be heavier. You know, we had done a lot of funkier shit for four or five years. Um, I don't know. It, it, it didn't happen overnight, but I don't know. There was something, I think I probably remember envisioning playing the songs live and uh, I wanted energy and I wanted power, you know, behind uh, the music and being a novice, I was just like, that, that's gotta be heavier guitars, <laughs> you know, <laughs> without realizing it could be accomplished many other ways. But yeah, so maybe, I, maybe I'm to blame for that. At that time too, we were listening to heavier stuff. We were going to lots of concerts at that time. I'd say like in 95, 96, like we'd go see Deftones play at the Whiskey in like tiny little spots. We saw Corn play at the Whiskey, you know? And the Whiskey, for those of you that don't, it's just, they're small, they're small venues. Hollywood small venues, dope places, but um, those guys went on to play arenas and shit like that. But that, those are the bands that we were digging on and listening to their albums. Um, probably around that time. I mean, I can't remember yeah. around '96, mid, mid, mid to late '90s. Yeah, sneaking into Twenty One and Over shows. Yes, we snuck in to see the Death Tones. After with the Dragonfly, Dragonfly in Santa Monica. Uh, who was on the roof? Somebody was on Me. the roof. You were on the roof. We got busted. We, snuck, <laughs> we were underage, and it was like a Twenty One and Twenty One and Over. Yeah, concert. And uh, Deftones were playing this little tiny spot. I must have been like 18 or 19 or something like that. And like, yeah, a couple of us couldn't get in because we were underage. And so we like went around, went around the back of this place. Somehow we climbed onto the roof. <laughs> we were all three of us are on the roof. It was like Mission Impossible. Looking down at like the uh, the indoor, or sorry, it was out, still outdoors. But if once you're inside, you can go to the outdoor area. Right. We're like, fuck, are we going to get down there, dude? All these people down there, how are we going to get down there? And then finally we got yelled. So security saw us. They're like, hey. Get down here, they yank us down, embarrass us in front of everybody, kicked us out. Then the side door opened, and I booked it right back in. <laughs> ran in fucking ran in, and uh, there was too many people at the point they couldn't find me, and so I got to go in. And yeah, see them at this tiny ass little spot. It was sick. Uh, Doug, what about you? Yeah, I'll pose a similar question. Was there a point when you had realized that you had found your own voice? Because I feel like you know, singers, there there is usually that moment where you're like, oh, this is me. This is how I. This is how I should sound. <sighs> I don't, I don't know. Uh, I, I still feel like, um, I'm still asking myself that question <laughs> sometimes. Uh, yeah, I, I'm being totally honest. I feel like from record to record, I go, well, where is my voice now? Like, what is it that I want it to sound like? And should I be singing this, you know, trying to sing this proper or should I just be letting my natural voice like do its thing? I don't know. I, I, yeah, I honestly, I, I would just say I haven't found it yet to be honest. Like, it just kind of changes with, with the song and with the, um, with the times. I definitely was never at any point going like, yeah, I found it. You know, <laughs> like, Hey, Hey, this is me. Except, except maybe the first time ever, like we ever recorded a demo uh, yeah, back in like 94 when I'd never heard like, Oh, I can, I'm going to start doing harmonies. And I would just throw it on. I'd throw these harmonies on. And I remember listening to one of our songs, which is absolute shit, but it was, listening in the car like on the way back from one of those studios that you pay like 300 bucks and you you get to record for the day 
uh, and going like, Oh my God, dude, this is us. Like, like, cause it just seems so weird to, uh, what was to hear stuff. 1995. Yeah. Yeah. 1995. We had probably been a band for a year and we were crap. You know, there was elements that were maybe interesting or cool that you could go back and listen to, but at the same time, yeah, it's like stuff that we cringe when we listen to. At least I love playing. I, I cringe when I hear it, but he cringes more. So I right. fucking love hitting play on it. <laughs> so funny. Or I'll text yeah. lyrics to those songs every once in a while. That's so bad. That's, so that's bad. the great part. Like, you know, when the fans want so badly for a band to open up the vaults on those early things and, and knowing how the band feels, you know, like I'll head back, you know, from what I was reading about that, that forward EP and it eventually made its way out onto the, the internet one way or the other. I mean, you guys were a part of that uh, early leak culture, in, you know, in those early days and having oh, those sure. moments out there, you know, what was, what was that like? Sucked. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was, it was great when other bands that we were into <laughs> when something new landed in our laps before it was time, you know, before the release date. Cause I used to work at a, uh, like a mom and pop record store, like a CD store, you know, and uh, that would happen every once in a while. And I knew a couple people in the industry. So every once in a while we get albums early, you know, and it was exciting, but we were good at not like, hey, you know, let's make copies and put well, them out there. Well, it was different when we were getting that stuff, too. There wasn't the world of, yeah, you could, there was always like tape to tape, you know, or CD to tape and then giving it to your buddies. But that didn't spread like wildfire, like like the internet, you know. And I remember when the internet kind of first was starting for you young kids out there. Like, <laughs> I, I just remember we had a buddy of ours that was quite a bit younger than us that loved the band and um, had all of our songs, the demos, everything in a folder, like everything, the worst shit and the worst shit. <laughs> and the worst shit. And somehow he left this, I don't know how the internet worked back then. I still don't even know how it works, but back then <laughs> there was some file sharing thing that he had left open. He had left it accessible back then. And somebody had gotten into the folder and everything of ours was on the internet. I remember just being heartbroken, like, oh no, <laughs> this sucks. Because some of the songs were just cringeworthy and the, the good thing about the internet now is that it's like finding a fucking needle in the haystack there's so much shit on there now that good luck finding that stuff um but back then i remember just going like no no <laughs> like i don't want this stuff out you know so especially i mean when you get stuff from kazan limewire it'd be misfiled and half of it there anyway you know napster was I know the best of it, but it was so unreliable that even if, you know, someone like me were to stumble up on this, it would probably be half there at best, you know, so it's, you had that going for you at least. It's... So it would sound even shittier than it really right. would. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so we would sound even shittier than we Yes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we're good. But, you know, this happens, of course, because of the success. That's why people are interested. Uh, Crawling in the Dark becomes a massive single, you know, so that's the celebratory moment which is why I want to talk about the less celebratory moments because remember me follows it and it doesn't, it doesn't hit as big as it was there ever that fear in the camp? Like, Oh no, we've had the hits and the second one's not doing as good. I mean, of course, you know, by the time the third single out, it would come back around, but, uh, but was it ever, did you ever have that feeling? Like, I think you got the order wrong, but yeah. Uh, remember okay. me was the third single. Oh, my bad. Run, running, running away, running away was the second single. It just screws and up it, the whole question. Then it doesn't even matter. Yeah, and, and it actually did really well. So yeah. we, we were like, no, running away. Yeah, of course, was 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 huge. Was huge. So running away charted. Well, running away. I remember as chart position wise, it charted 
performed better than Crawling in the Dark did, but I think Crawling in the Dark was, was more popular. I think Crawling yeah. in the Dark people appreciate that more and, and dig it. But um, but I do remember those two songs doing really, really, really well, and then running. I mean, sorry, and then remember me not doing quite as well. And I remember it, maybe it sung for a second. I also didn't necessarily think that that was a single. I remember when they wanted to release it, going like, "Really, that song?" So whatever. I mean, we hit we hit two balls. Yeah. Far, so <laughs> two for three. Uh, yeah, kind of the same thing. I remember going. I think we were trying to get pieces to be a single, which was a, a really up tempo song that we like to play live. And um, I forget exactly who wanted "Remember Me." And then they started chopping it up and editing, like doing the radio edit, which I seems so strange. To me, started different yeah to me it's, everything sounded weird um yeah i don't know you know you can't win them all <laughs> I, I think you but, guys won right <laughs> but you know what it, it to uh uh i guess to continue on that question so to speak when the second album uh, when we went in to record the second album there was a lot i mean not a lot but i guess there was a certain amount of uh pressure from the record label and it was all what's going to be the next crawling in the dark. That's what they would, you know, so. So we gave uh, the reason. So we, yeah, so, so we had the reason. Uh, yeah, but that, th- there was a little bit, I think of, of, at least I remember feeling a little bit of like anxiety, a little bit about like, what if, you know, what if our first, what if these singles off this next album, you know, the trajectory is just starts going like this, like then, you know, then what, how long does a record company that was the next album. stick around? Yeah. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Luckily, we got a few albums out of it. It was the last days of of rock on the pop charts. I mean, to to uh, you know, to to the force that it was at that point. When I look back on that, it, it is really interesting to see that because you don't see it really at, at all these days. And and to think back when you know those worlds were mixing, like you guys were a rock band at times. You were a very heavy rock band you know, being played on these pop stations, being put on these pop bills uh, occasionally. Did that, what was that like with the worlds colliding? Was that like, uh, were, were there awkward situations? Was it pretty natural? It's a little strange. Uh, I, are you referencing more about um, this, the Reason album and how I guess that by that point, of... since we had kind of, since we had went to there. Yeah, yeah, we didn't really do, we weren't billed on a lot of pop shows off the debut album. We, uh, I guess if you can like chart your own career path, it kind of seemed like the one we would have charted if, if, if we had any control over it, like, you know, like you think you do at the time. Um, yeah, you know, we're playing, we're, we're put out of uh, some successful rock singles, you know, we're a rock band. The music fits the, these, how we saw ourselves, you know, like self image wise and, and, and stuff like that. And, and the perception of ourselves was the same as the perception of our audience. You know, like everything seemed to match. And I guess that's kind of how we thought it would go. You know, we were building a following and we have a, you know, a successful first record and we kind of build off that and go and go and uh, build this fan base. And, and then when the reason came out, we did get at that point, we started getting billed, not a lot, to be honest with you, not a whole lot, but uh, every once in a while we, we would get billed with on these more, pop shows or shows with more pop bands and stuff like that. And, um, that's when we went from playing, you know, a house of blues and small theaters filled with teenagers and, you know, young 20 year olds going nuts and crowd swimming and moshing 
to playing like amphitheaters, you know, sheds on our own with those same kids and their parents now, like, you know, or younger, you know, the 14 year old kids, the parents. And at the time it's awesome. It's not like you go out there and go, but this, you know, like all you 20,000 people, like you're not the people who, you know, who really like the band. What, what was the single off the last album? You know, like, although you're thinking that in a, in a weird way at times, not when you're on stage, but you know, when you're off stage, maybe. And it is, those are the fans that will fill up huge arenas and, and venues um, while you're hot. But then the second, the next, you know, it's, it's an old story. The second, the next thing comes along. Those people don't they'll, they'll never, they're not going to be back at your shows, you know? So it was a little bit of um, a double-edged sword. Like you enjoy this incredible amount of popularity and success at the time um, at the risk of alienating, you know, uh, 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 an amount of people that were there from the beginning who, for, for, who may have been like turned off by the fact that, Oh, you know, now there's this band that's, uh, you know, this was my band and now everybody knows this band and, and, and they're huge. And now I don't want to be a part of it, you know? And I get that mentality. You know, I totally get it. Um, I don't think it's, you know, the healthiest <laughs> way to look at things, but, but I understand that feeling because I've been there. Um, so, you know, you enjoy, you enjoy it while you can, because it was out of our hands, you know, and then you, uh, pick up the pieces, so to speak after, if there's something to be picked up, you know, and you keep on going. During that time, I mean, speaking of pop culture moments, you guys were also part of the uh, the Scorpion soundtrack, and that's where the song uh, was it losing my grip, right? That's where that comes from. I, I don't know, did that add to any more of the pop culture moments, or was that just like one of those? Here's a song, there's a soundtrack, and then it's out of our world from there. B. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that song was actually written and recorded during the first record. It wasn't. We didn't go and write it for that movie. Um, yeah, it was written recorded exactly yeah it was a b-side but it, it wasn't we didn't know it was going to be a b-side and so we knew we were going to own we were going to put 12 songs on the album i think and yeah. we had a song a couple songs extra we had several songs extra so we had to chop some off anyways we did not know that that was going to be chopped off i don't think when we wrote it and when we were right recording it it wasn't until later i don't i don't think i've seen i don't think i've seen the movie i don't think i well, I was going to point out, I think the, the song game. has outlasted the movie, honestly. Oh, all right. <laughs> I believe the song has outlasted. But I, I do, you know, that was one of my favorite things about bands. Uh, it's still a hobby of mine these days, you know, to to dig and find those lost soundtracks and lost B-sides and everything. There's that always... and apparently David Hasselhoff. Is that David Hasselhoff? Where at? <laughs> Bowie? <laughs> Kerouac? No, I can't, I can't tell. Yeah. Under, under Bowie. Who is that? Oh, no, that's Bowie, too. This is two Bowies. Oh, it looks like Hasselhoff from here. <laughs> you know, over here, that's uh, soundtracks and soundtracks and soundtracks. That's uh, oh, like four okay. different rows of soundtracks over there. Oh. No Hasselhoff, though. This whole time I'm going, dude, he likes Knight Rider. Like, that's how it looks like him. <laughs> yeah. Oh, wait, is that, is that, what's that, the one, the first one of Bowie? What is that from? Like, it's really blurry to me. Is that the? That's the uh, Loving the Alien uh, box set that they came from. So that would have been 1983. To, it's 80s Bowie. It's, you know that Bowie was in um, the movie. Oh, that's uh, that's uh, that's a uh, labyrinth. That's what labyrinth. Yeah. yeah. You know what, Bowie Hasselhoff, same. You know. <laughs> <laughs> you know that's going to be the point from this interview. It's <laughs> what's that? Yeah, you, exactly. I should have. Fuck. I you think I'd learn after twenty years of this. Right. Like that's going to be a headline. Who was saying? 
thinks Bowen and Hasselhoff are equal. Yeah, can't Yeah, can't tell Knight Rider from from the Labyrinth. Yeah, I can. Bowie's way better than Hasselhoff. For the record, it's just on these little phones and and my eyes, you know, not, they're not that used to be. If Hasselhoff did the little lightning bolt thing right here on his face and just took photos of it. Yes. If Hasselhoff dressed up as David Bowie for Christmas. Yes. <laughs> for Christmas, though. Manifest. Manifest that out yeah, of the world. Let's make it happen. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we got to hit on the uh, the more recent pop culture moment for you guys, of course, because at the beginning of this year, uh, the reason does end up on um, on TikTok, um, which is always something out of a band's control. That's got to be the most bizarre thing, you know, as I've talked to some other bands that have had that moment, too, because there you are just living your life and suddenly this whole other thing takes root and, and happens. Uh, what was that experience for you all? Because, again, weird, I assume. I love, I love that it's already in the past tense. <laughs> it's still going no no it's fine trust us it's we good. Knew, trust we me knew yeah yeah we we <laughs> joked about it we're like oh we got four minutes left you know um <laughs> i just had tiktok i have a daughter who has a 10 year old daughter who has tiktok but even she barely ever used it um we started hearing from friends and management like yo there's this thing on tiktok do you guys have tiktok we're like no we're not yeah no and um like there's this thing people are doing this like little challenge and they're using the beginning of the reason and they're you know doing things that that they regret and they're mouthing i'm not a perfect person and we're like cool and then you know next week manager call back in yo it's like there's like 300 million people million people doing this thing maybe you should chime in and we're like okay cool two weeks later we still haven't done anything and you know at some point it was just it was there was too much it was just it had gotten really big apparently and um so we just decided to chime in um with our own version of something regretful uh being that we the band band name and uh then that video got really huge like you know a couple million views and you know almost a hundred thousand followers overnight so that's it next thing you know we're like we're doing a bunch of interviews and and trying to figure out how to use this platform because I don't know, social, to be honest with you, social media in general has been like uh, homework for this band since day one. It's never been, maybe we, we've drew, we kind of took with us the old mentality from the nineties and stuff like that, where you're still making flyers and um, you know, that kind of self-promotion, but. Are you guys putting up flyers around town still? That's not going to work uh, on TikTok. We've talked about it. We've talked about it actually jokingly. <laughs> and then and then put it on TikTok. Uh, us like fly, flyering lockers, you know. We've just never been the, like the most enthusiastic about using social media. We use it because it's important. But most of it's like very factual. You know, we're playing here and this is a picture of us doing this. And this is a video from the studio. It's all very like, you want info on the band? And, and it never has, by design like shown the band's personality as far as like how serious and or not serious we take ourselves. And I feel like this format really lends to that. Like it, we used to do all these videos when we were younger and we like, we would just make videos and stupid skits and everything to make our friends laugh. That was it. There was one goal. We're going to, we're going to spend our Friday night filming some stupid skit. Uh, and then we're going to go, on uh, Saturday night and, and get everybody at my house, my parents' house, and we're going to show the video and everybody's going to laugh. That was like, that was it. So it kind of reminds me of that in a way. 
um, where we can just kind of goof off and it doesn't have to be like, yo, Hey, we're playing at the, you know, the whiskey. Um, it could just be something funnier and, and fun. And I've also noticed, we've noticed that the, um, the comments and the people on TikTok seem to be a lot nicer than people on other platforms. And, um, that was refreshing because, you know, the internet can be brutal. We've been on the, uh, both ends of it, you know, the, the highs and the lows, but they seem to be really positive and, and, and really nostalgic. And so we, we've been kind of, you know, what do we do next? And there's a lot of self-censoring going on and, and overthinking and, and, uh, foot shooting. <laughs> yeah, like, uh, I think that can test words such different places in our lives than we were when we were doing what, what you were just saying when we were younger, when we were with the VHS camp, yeah. we weren't married. We didn't have kids. We just did. We weren't adults and we were together all the time. And we had, I feel like one common goal and it was to get there and to get there. We just did all this stupid shit. And that's, and we, it, it was just fun. That's what our lives were at that time. It makes complete sense to me why it's slightly, I wish TikTok was around back then because we were constantly like feeding off each other right, right. ideas who can one up the next person and come up with a funny ass idea. And we have little skits that are edited that were shot on VHS. You know, they're kind of inappropriate at this point. <laughs> <laughs> and um, I think we get in a lot of trouble, but some of them are fucking funny, you know? Right. I will say, I, I wasn't surprised to hear, especially that song and everything, because one, it's a great song. Two, if I remember right, that was the one on the Friends finale, right? And and Friends has been such a big deal in the past couple of years with younger generations, with millennials and with Zs who are discovering it for the first time, you know, so to find that song, I, did, I, I didn't know that. I didn't, I didn't know that. Yeah. My nieces are into it. They're about 15 and 12, so. Oh, so when they get around to the finale, it's going to get big again. They're going to call. I love you. Because it's you guys yeah, in, uh, in Pearl Jam's Yellow Ledbetter. That's like the last two songs of the uh, of the entire series, right there. So it's really. Yeah. I didn't know Pearl Jam was, but um, that's yeah. pretty cool. Yeah. Who's Pearl Jam? Who are they? <laughs> Let's see what. Uh, there we go. That's, yeah, uh, not yeah. yeah, not true. I love Pearl Jam. <laughs> we saw Pearl. I saw Pearl Jam the first time ever in 1992. Lollapalooza. You were there, weren't you? I think so. Was it the one with Chili Peppers headline? Yes, I was there. Anyway, it, yeah, it's been so cool to see really all of this happen for you guys, uh, you know, and, and all through the years. I also want to really quickly, as I know, Zoom's going to kick us off here in a second. I know I, I want to throw a big compliment to um, the last record, too, with Push Pull. I mean, that was such a fun record. I mean, what you guys Thank were doing there. I mean, as as we almost talk full circle here with funk and, and you know, some of the R&B stuff that was on there. And of course, that cover, uh, you know, the Head Over Hills. I mean, that's one of my all time favorites too. I, I loved what you guys did with there. So, so what's coming up next? Because that's a great last stop, previous stop. Wait, you, you actually heard that last record? I've heard it many times. Oh, nice. <laughs> Good for you. We did that. We did that record with, with Matt Wallace, who, who, who was to come full circle here. We met with him to do the self-titled album and we really liked him as a, as a guy, as a human being. We, we, we just kind of decided to go with uh, a producer who had, pretty much taken us under his wing up to that point and got us the record deal, you know, and uh, did all our demos and stuff like that. We went with, his name was Jim Wirt, but we were, you know, we were told to, to meet with these other producers and Matt Wallace had, had did come off my favorite album of all time, which is uh faith no more's angel dust. So I, I was way into it and he was so cool. And he always kind of just stuck around and um, kept in touch with you mostly. And then 
yeah, after a long, almost 20 years, you know, he got to do the record. It was good, but appreciate it. Thanks for the compliment. It's a great record. Do you guys know when the, um, I mean, what the next step is? Not really. Yeah, I don't know. The last year has just been weird, obviously, for everybody. We want to play shows, man. We haven't played, just like everybody, we haven't played shows in over a year. It's, it's a bit weird. Um, we're starting to, to, to rebook some stuff that had been canceled um, or postponed because of the virus. Uh, and that's really what we're looking forward to doing. There's talks about like a summer tour, like a package tour with some of other bands from around our time-ish. We also have a ton, a ton. Dan's compiled way too much uh, footage um, corresponding with the, the first album. Everything from, you know, the rec- uh, pre- rec- uh, rehearsals and, and demos and, and in the studio and, and tours and stuff like that. That album, we actually have the most footage on. And I know he spent uh, a lot of time you know, transferring it from a tape format to a digital format th- this li- in 2020. Uh, I'm talking like trash bags filled with these like, tapes. Plus, yeah. Like little, little camcorder. Those little digital uh, videotapes. And um, so we're trying to figure out, you know, what would be interesting for people to see and, uh, and then also how to release it, you know, corresponding with the 20th anniversary um maybe something on our youtube channel weekly or i don't know we're, we're, it's we're stuff we're trying to figure out but um but there's a lot of unseen uh footage and, and stuff like that and i think it's nostalgic i think people would dig it that are that are deep fans the people that enjoy watching stuff like that that know those songs because it shows <clears throat> me recording crawling in the dark you know um it shows doug doing the vocals for crawling in the dark uh you know, there's little little things like that. At that time, it was just—it's got the little in the in the bottom right corner. It says the date and the year of everything. Um, we look awesome. <laughs> <laughs> I look forward to seeing that stuff and and hearing it and seeing the shows. Uh, Doug Day, and thank you so much for, you know, heading back in the time machine with me here. Um, congratulations on 20 years of this record. Thank you. Yeah, we're alive. Now, it was just back in uh, 2019, the last time I got to talk with Dan from uh, Hoobastank. And this was around the 15th anniversary of that sophomore LP, uh, The Reason. So I want to include that interview here. Uh, Dan's going to take us behind the scenes of what it was like to write the chart-topping album while still touring their breakthrough debut record and then having it all come to a halt after suffering a head injury from a a motorbike accident right before the tour was supposed to start. Uh, We're going to hear about the lasting impact of the song The Reason, which was even prominently featured in that Friends finale, as we talked about in this interview, and the bonus tracks that are included on that uh, deluxe edition, including the previously unreleased uh, Force Feed Me, And what's not included, Estrin says the band recorded a cover of Rod Stewart's Do You Think I'm Sexy, but haven't decided to let that one out of the vault just yet. Part two of Kyle Meredith with Hoobastank. Thanks for having me, Kyle. Yeah, No problem. It's exciting to talk about this because I know we're talking about the uh, the 15th anniversary of The Reason, just a huge record that came out. uh, I guess it's actually you're in the 15th anniversary year, right? Because technically it's like right at the end of 2003. Is that how this works? I guess, yeah. We'll milk it for whatever we can. <laughs> well, you know, I'm happy to go back there, though, because, you know, w- when we look back at this record, uh, of course, you have to talk about the record that came before it a little bit. Like, it seems like to me that that, you know, self-titled record was still making hits while you all were doing this. And, and that's got to feel like a lot of momentum going into a record. What was it like for you all, you know, when, when you when you did finally buckle down and say it's time to work? I just think that at that time in our lives, we were in that headspace 
pretty often. And, you know, during the first record cycle that came out, we had that song Crawling in the Dark and Running Away that did really well for us. We had a lot of momentum. We'd be on the road touring during that period, and I, we would have a day off. And on the day off, I would spend that day off in my hotel room trying to come up with ideas or writing song ideas, which is quite different than it is today. I'm not doing that today, but, you know, back then it was all the time just creating, 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 had all these ideas that I had to get out. And um, I just remember we came home from touring on that album, on the first record, and I was living at home with my mom. And um, I went in the guest bedroom, and I just sat down with a guitar and plugged it into plugged it into my Pro Tools system and just kind of started coming up with the, actually with the initial, with the, with the, the guitar part of the reason, song. And um, yeah, dude, it was just, I don't know, man. It's like when you got to go to the bathroom, you got to go to the bathroom. There's nothing stopping you, you know, or you're going to shit your pants. So it's like, what do you do? Well, there was one thing that stopped you because there was a pretty gnarly injury that went into, like, you guys get started and then you end up in a, in a bike accident, right? Yeah. And so, like, right, right before the record came out, it was our first tour back. Like, we had stopped touring on the first album, taken some time off to make the Reason album. And now the album was finished and, you know, we were setting it up. And it was like, okay, guys, we're going to head out on the road again. It's been about three months, four months, whatever. And uh, we go out. And we're, you know, four days in or something like that. And we're in Myrtle Beach, South Carolina at the House of Blues. We, and that day we ended up after soundcheck, we had somebody from a record company out there. And we're like, let's go buy something stupid. So we did. We went to like this little mini bike store and we all bought little mini motorcycles. And we were riding them around all day. It was totally cool. But then at night we were riding and I, I yeah, dude, I got clotheslined by this, this rope and thrown back. Hit my head, had to be rushed to the hospital had um, a blood clot forming right next to my brain oh. and uh, had to have emergency surgery and, you know, woke up woke up like 24 hours later with a tube sticking out of my head while half my head was bald and the other half was long um, with staples in the side. Of my, it was just gnarly. So when you first did get finally back on tour and everything, uh, was there like confidence in check? Were you ready by the time it all happened? Because at that point, you know, you, now again, that momentum is carrying. As you said, the, the album is done. It's time to actually hit it. Like, what was it actually like getting back on the road after the accident? I mean, it was exciting. I wanted to get back out on the road, except for I was recovering from a serious, serious head injury. And uh, after, you know, I, I still had complications afterwards, and I had to be extremely careful. So, and my head wasn't fully there either. It was, I was totally sober when I, when I got into that accident. I wasn't drinking or anything. But when I, when I today think back on, on it all, it's almost as if I was drunk. You know, like it's a blur and how I re kind of remember on a daily basis things were registering slightly later for me. You know, I knocked the shit out of my head, so... It, 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 but it was nice to get back into it, man. It's what I love doing, and I love being out there and playing shows and seeing people in the audience and hearing people tell me that they enjoy this or they enjoy this. So well, well, having it was a slow process, it was great. Yeah, having a, a single like the reason. So you know, it finally comes around. I think it's a second single off the off the album. You know, you get the title track. It's the ballad. You know, it's it's the big moments. You know, every band kind of I think looks for this moment that crossover hit or something like that. And and for it to be so part of culture, like this is a song as I read now. I, I've seen the last episode of Friends a few times, and I'm like, oh right, that was in there, right? Like to be part of that kind of culture. That's that's got to be huge. Yeah, man. The, and like you know, the older that I get. And I sometimes get farther and farther away from that time that I start to uh, I start to realize what you said, you know, and I and and it makes me happy. Um, I'm I'm pretty proud that that 
we did something or we created something that will stick around after we're all gone, I'm hoping, you know, or maybe somebody will cover it and it'll have life again. I don't know, but, you know, I, I just know I was at the grocery store the other day and it came on and um, the florist lady, the girl, the dude, lady doing the flowers, started was just rocking out, singing it, and I just started cracking up. I was up to, I'm like, dude, this is funny. It's like 20 years, 15 years later, you know, and I'm at the grocery store at Pavilions, and there's the woman just rocking out to the reason singing it. And I looked at her. I didn't say anything other than I'm like, oh, do you like the song? She's like, oh, it's so pretty. It was just funny. <laughs> well, I do want to hit on that real quick. Uh, this uh, new edition has the uh, the bonus tracks, too. We're looking at Right Before Your Eyes, which was on the Daredevil soundtrack, uh, Did You from the Spider-Man 2 soundtrack, and Connected from the Halo soundtrack. Uh, real quick, tell me about Force Feed Me, because that's the unreleased one, right? Yeah, Force Feed Me was a song that was actually written uh, during the same time that all the other songs for the album were written. So, you know, you'd grab the song that's in the middle of that album and Force Feed Me was written somewhere around that same time. But, you know, you can only, on an album, well, back then too, it was like, we're going to only put this many songs on an album. We're going to hold this many songs for bonus tracks or for soundtracks. And this one, it, we'll just see what happens. And it just, we just never did anything with it. It just kind of sat there. And I think one day we're like, oh, yeah. That's right. This song, you know, this song exists. There's another one too. We did a cover of Rod Stewart's "Do You Think I'm Sexy," um, and uh, but we didn't love how it turned out. It's there, and we've tried to redo it a little bit. But yeah, the way it turned out today, I don't love. Back then, I think we liked it, but I think that it sounds a little dated. So we just we just left it alone. Yeah. Well, it's still such a great record to go back and listen to. And, and by the way, I, I love the last record, Push Pull. I can't wait to hear what you guys come up with next. You're still writing exciting music, and and you know, I thank you all for that. And uh, and thanks for your time today, Dan. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. All right, take care. Bye. All right, bye. My thanks to Doug and Dan Hubastank, the 20th anniversary of their self-titled debut record. And, uh, and look for the TikTok videos as well. Thanks to you for checking out the episode. Please do hit that subscribe button. Uh, iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Acast, Podchaser, YouTube. Again, for the video version, anywhere you get your favorite podcast from, you can find the Kyle Meredith with podcast and look for three new interviews every single week. After that, head over to WFPK.org where I do a show Monday through Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern. It's an hour full of song premieres, music news, anniversary spins, bonus interviews, Monday through Friday, 6 p.m. Eastern at WFPK.org. Consequence of Sound has your music and film news. You can also find me on the social media spots, uh, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, all three of them, at Kyle Meredith. Also over on TikTok at KyleMeredith81. So I hope you like and follow along in those places as well. Make sure to say hi when you do. That does it for another edition. I'm Kyle Meredith, and I'll see you next time. Consequence Podcast Network. Oh, oh shit. shit. We got one of these fancy dancy thingies here. Did we just look 10 times handsomer when the light went on? Oh. Started off looking like two different dudes. Now we're two different Now dudes. we're just the cross-armed guys. Yeah. <laughs> it's easy to hear your favorite artist on WFPK from wherever you are. Listen on your smart speaker, live stream from our website at WFPK.org from Louisville Public Media. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Ohio, ready for some quick mental health facts? Let's go. Nearly 2 million Ohioans live with a mental health condition. In the U.S., more than 50% of people will be diagnosed with a mental illness in their lifetime. Depression is a leading cause of disability worldwide. So why are some of us still stigmatizing people living with a mental health condition when we know all of this? Let's listen to the facts and beat the stigma. Ohio, challenge what you know about mental health at beatthestigma.org.